Day. Happy Mother's Day, Mom. She'll watch later. If you're uh, with us here for the first time, or if you're tracking with us, we are working through the book of 1 Samuel. So if you'd open your Bibles with me to the book of 1 Samuel, we are meeting God through the royal mess that the nation was in as the nation is going through a season of transitions. And it, it really sounds familiar with all the transitions that we are going through as a nation and as um, people. Did you notice that what we sang? We sang, give us clean hands and give us pure hearts. Clean hands and pure hearts are so very important especially for those of us in leadership, especially for people who are in power. This week, as we're going through 1 Samuel chapter 2, as we're going to finish 1 Samuel chapter 2, beginning in verse 12, we'll see, we'll see people that are in leadership that really don't have clean hands or pure hearts. We'll see people in leadership, people with power, who are abusing power. And my question for you is, how are you doing with the power that God has assigned you? So as you think about what position do you have, what power do you wield, we'll ask, how's that going? How are you doing with it? And can you max out your faithfulness to God with the position or the power, the resources that you have? Now, your immediate uh, pushback might be that you don't have any power, that you don't have a position, that you're not very important, that people don't know your name, that, that you just don't, you don't wield a lot of authority. That was my first thought when I thought about this question. I thought, well, I don't really have any power. I can't make anyone do anything. Then I thought, well, I, you know, I do get up and talk, and people do at least pretend to listen, and some people have to take notes. Thanks, Lori. So I guess this applies to me. And I think it applies to you. I think you get up in the morning and you go somewhere, you go to school. And you have influence with people at school. You go to work and you're in charge of something at work, someone at work. You're part of a family and you have some influence, some say on somebody in that family. In fact, in fact, the Proverbs tell us that the power of life and death is in the tongue. So if you can talk, you wield a measure of power. If you're posting on social media, you are measuring, you are using a measure of power. How are you stewarding? How are you managing that asset? Power. 
So I'd like you to think about what power do I have, how am I doing with it, and what would maxing out faithfulness with this look like? So before we begin in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 12, I just want to warn you. I feel like I should warn you, like that'd be due diligence on my part. Because you're going to see something in this text that you disagree with. Now, I know you're like, well, it's the Bible, and I don't disagree with stuff in the Bible. We're going to read something in the Bible that you're going to go, that's not true. Let me pray, and we'll jump in. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would stand in front of me while I stand in front of them, and that you would talk over me while I talk to them. Lord, that you would help us catch a fresh glimpse of your glory today so that our lives are changed for good. Do this for your sake, for our sake, for the world's sake. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Here we go. Watch for the thing you're going to disagree with. Now, the sons of Eli were worthless men. After we agree, after, I'm sorry, after we read this, you'll agree with that. That's not it. Now, the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. Okay, so if you're just jumping in with us for the first time, uh, their dad is the priest. And now they function as priests, and they are priests that represent God that don't know the Lord. They did not know the Lord. And the custom of the priests with the people was that when any man offered a sacrifice, the priest servant would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand, and he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. And all that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. That is what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Moreover, so this is the second example of sin. Moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest servant would come and say to the man who is sacrificing, give meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. And if the man said to him, let them burn the fat first, then take as much as you wish, he would say, no. You must give it now, and if not, I will take it by force. Thus, the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord. Their sin in the sight of the Lord was huge. It was like God looks at them and sees this giant sin. Now, why is that true? Because, or for, the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. So what were they doing? Well, the family would bring an offering to the Lord, and parts of it were supposed to go to the priest. Parts of it the family could eat. The parts in the pot were the parts the family could eat. Leviticus, Deuteronomy specifies which parts would go to the Levites, which parts would go to the priests. And Hophni and Phinehas were not satisfied with a portion 
that they were supposed to get, so they would come with a three-pronged fork and stick it in the family's pot and take it out, and that would be theirs in addition to what God had promised them. They're stealing from people's tables because they're not content with what God has given them. It's not that people in power are ever discontent with what has been assigned to them today. Not that people in power ever take more than they're supposed to today, right? I think you see this, people in power taking more than they're supposed to take, reaching into the pot of other people's and taking it. I think you see that today. And the fat was supposed to be for the Lord. And of course, they're demanding their portion with the fat on it. They're... they're they're taking from the Lord. They're treating the Lord's offering with contempt. Now watch the contrast between Eli and his sons. By the way, since it's Mother's Day, we'll point out, no mom in that picture. And Samuel, godly mom in that picture. Watch the contrast between Eli and his sons and Samuel. Okay? For the Lord, for the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt, verse 18. And Samuel was ministering before the Lord. Okay, so we were on Eli, now we're on Samuel. You see the contrast go back and forth a couple times. Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy clothed with a linen ephod. And his mother used to make for him a little robe and take it to him each year when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. And Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, May the Lord give you children by this woman for the petition that she asked of the Lord. Um, so just backstory, Samuel uh, was longed for and prayed for year by year, year after year. Hannah, his mom, was barren, longed for a baby, prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and finally said, Lord, if you give me a baby, I'll give him back. The Lord gave her a baby and she indeed gave him back and so Samuel is living at the temple and so this is Eli saying the Lord bless you for making this petition and by the way keeping the vow that you made so then they would return to their home indeed the Lord visited Hannah and she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters and the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord Okay, so you have Eli and his sons that are an abomination to the Lord. Their sin is very great. And then you have Samuel growing in the presence of the Lord. Okay, now watch the contrast as we keep going. Now, Eli was very old. Okay, we're back on Eli and his side. And he, now, now watch that language there. He kept hearing all that his sons were doing in all Israel. Was it just a one-time thing? This is something that happened over and over and over and over again. He kept hearing all that his, the part you're, you're going to disagree with is coming up. He kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance of the tent of meeting. They're turning the tent of meeting into something less than a brothel.
So Eli says to his boys, why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all these people. Now, or I'm sorry, no, my sons, it is no good report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading abroad. Like this is not good. People know about this. No real concern for the women. But people are finding out. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father. Are you dialed in here? Are you ready for this? Why would they not listen to the voice of their father? For it was the Lord's will to put them to death. That's the part I think you disagree with. That God had decided that was enough. What do you do with that? Are you okay with that? For it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. It gets, it gets, it gets harder, okay? It gets, like, like, it, it, you just heard, it, God has had enough. Romans 1 might say, God has turned them over to the hardness of their heart and just let them go in that direction. But the judgment is going to be more severe than that. I'm just telling you, before we're done with this chapter. And there came a man of God, nameless, yet named. And there came a man of God to Eli and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt, subject to the house of Pharaoh? So this man of God comes to Eli. Eli is still the head of his house. And he says, Do you not remember past grace, how I revealed myself to you and to your family? Evidently, Eli is a descendant of Aaron. Did I... Choose him from out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar and burn incense, to wear the ephod before me? Like, do you not remember how I revealed myself to you? How I chose you? Do you not remember that? Do you not see how you're abusing this grace that I gave you? I gave to the house of your father all my offerings by fire from the people of Israel Why then do you scorn my sacrifices, my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling and honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel? Hey, what do you see there? Eli and his sons. Eli says to his boys, guys, this is scary, stupid what you're doing. If if someone sins against other people, God will intercede for them but if you sin against god there's no one that's going to help you but eli is fattening himself on this too yourselves it's like he's saying better not do that now pass me another plate of that therefore this is what's going to happen then so what's happening in the present is they're fattening themselves by ill-gotten gain What's going to happen in the future is 
The second part that's going to be really hard to take. Therefore, the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, I promise that your house and the house of your father should go in and out before me forever. But now, the Lord declares, Far be it from me, for those who honor me I will honor, and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. For behold, the days are coming when I will cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house. Hey, those of you who were with us last week, do you recognize that cut off? Where did that come from? Hannah's poem. You'll see it again before we're done. Um, so God says, it's the Lord's will to put them to death. And he says, therefore, because you're doing this, I'm going to cut you off. So that there will not be an old man in your house. People will all die young. Then in distress, you will look for, uh, with envious eye on all the prosperity that shall be bestowed on Israel. And there shall not be an old man in your house because people will keep dying young. The only one of you whom shall not get cut off from my altar, that's 2-9, that's in Hannah's uh, song, which sets a tone for the whole book, shall be spared to weep his eyes out and to grieve his heart. <laughs> do, you see, do you see that? You're all going to die except one of you that I'm going to leave alive so he can keep grieving. That's God's wrath. God is angry. And all the descendants of your house shall die by the sword of men. And this that shall come upon your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, shall be the sign to you. Both of them shall die on the same day. And I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do in according to what is in my heart and in my mind. And I shall build him a sure house and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. You read about the anointed in Hannah's song in chapter 2 verse 10. And everyone who is left in your house, so evidently all is hyperbole here, where he says, all of you will die by the sword except for one which I'll leave alive to grieve. Evidently, there's still, that's hyperbole because there's still a few left. Everyone who is left in your house shall come to implore him for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread and shall say, please put me in one of the priest's places that I may eat a morsel of bread. The tables will be turned. The reversals that Hannah sang about will come true. So, what, what does this teach you about God? If we look at this, this chapter as a whole, what does it teach you about God and what does it teach you about power? Here, here's what I would say. I would say that the first thing that it really drives home, the first truth that really drives home is that power is assigned by God. So, so this is why when the man of God comes to Eli and says, here are all these bad things that are going to happen to you. He reminds him of God's past grace. He says, didn't I reveal myself to you? Didn't I choose you? Didn't I give you all the benefits of the priesthood? 
He's saying, didn't I, didn't I raise you up? And now I'm going to take you down. This is the first, the first thing when, we, when we're thinking about power that we have to know is that God gives it. It is assigned to us by God. So when you're thinking about the power that you wield, when you get up in the morning and you go to school or you go to work or wherever it is that you get up and leave and go to, whatever it is you log into, whatever it is that you sign into and you wield power there, you have to know that it is an assignment from God himself. Now maybe Hophni and Phinehas you know, maybe they're bringing this up because Hophni and Phinehas didn't believe this anymore, didn't think of it anymore. Eli didn't think of it anymore. Maybe it had been come down through so many generations that they just thought it was their birthright. Maybe they just took it for granted. Maybe they just thought they were better than everyone else and entitled to this power. But God is looking them in the eyes through the man of God and telling them, this is an assignment. This is a delegation. This is something I have delegated to you. It is an asset I have entrusted you with. I think, I think the biggest pushback we might have to this is the fact that we are pretty convinced because we're Americans that we are self-made. And let me tell you, that is a half-truth. Because you can think of all the early mornings and late nights. And you can look back and you can see how hard you worked and how much harder you worked than your peers. And that's true. But isn't it also true that God gave you the Constitution to tolerate that? You can look back and you can see all the risks you took. You can look back and see all the times that you summoned the courage to bet the farm, and it worked. And you can look back at other people who didn't bet the farm, who didn't take the risks, and you can say, see, see, it's because I took these risks. But can't you see that you could have lost the farm too? That God was smiling at you and trusting you with that and those risks you took. That God, God was trusting you with success. He was giving you that as a trust. Like he gave the priesthood to Eli and Hophni and Phinehas as a trust. You can look back and you can look at all the connections that you've done right by and how you've honored them and how you've fostered them and how you've built them up and how you've, you've given to them and then they've given to you. You can look back at all the connections you have. But can't you agree that that too, God put you in a place to build those connections? The first, the first way to get power right is to view it as a trust from God. as a stewardship, as, as something God gives to you and says, be careful with this. I'm going to hold you accountable for this. 
So when you're thinking about your relationships at work or at school, when you're thinking about your relationships with your family, when you're thinking about the words you use that wield the power of life and death, this is a gift that God has given you. Be careful with it. To hold us accountable for it. That's the first thing, that, that the first truth that God assigns assigns power. Here's, here's the thing, second thing that, that you see very clearly when it says it's the will of the Lord to put them to death or God talking about how he's going to wipe out their entire line and the ones that are left are going to weep or the ones that are left are going to beg for bread. God hates, abominates the abuse of power. You know why God abominates the abuse of power? Because fundamentally, the abuse of power is a lie about Him. Because all power comes from Him, and all power is supposed to represent Him. So God is so viscerally angry, God is killing mad, because the priests that are supposed to represent him are lying about him to the people by abusing the people. Think about how they're lying about God. When Elkanah comes down there with his family, I'm just using his, him as an example of what Hophni and Phinehas were doing. When he comes down there with his family and he's already offered the parts of the sacrifice that need to be offered and uh, before he does that, they come over there and take some of the fat. And he's like, wait, isn't that for God? And they're like, shut up. And then they take it anyway. And then he's trying to cook and meat so he can give portions to his family. And they come in with their three-pronged fork. And they take some out of his pot. And that's not going to be on his table for him to feed his kids anymore. Listen, how is that a lie about God? Because they represent God, and that tells them that God is a taker after all. God is not a taker. God is a giver of all good things. When Hophni and Phinehas, I mean, think of Elkanah, okay? So he's there, they've had the meal, they've stolen from him twice, and he's got to keep an eye on his wife, he's got to keep an eye on his daughters. You got Hophni and Phineas around there prowling. How is that a lie about God? Because them being inappropriate, I'm going to use that language because there are kids in here, them being inappropriate with the women at that tent is a lie about God because it's taking their dignity. And God is not a taker of dignity. God is a giver of dignity. And so God hates, he hates, he abominates the abuse of power because the abuse of power is a lie about him. This is why he gets so angry. This is why he's killing mad. Because people like Elkanah go home wondering if God really is a taker, wondering if God really does give them dignity or if God just takes dignity. If 
But Hophni and Phinehas are not the only ones lying about God. You know, talk about today how a pastor is... I mean, not, not only pastors, but pastors. This is only relevant to pastors, but it is relevant to pastors. Pastors can fall spectacularly in terms of money and in terms of inappropriate relationships. Not being content with their pay and taking more than they're supposed to take. And then being inappropriate and abusing power in, in relationships. But there's... There's, there's one more area where these boys are lying about money. I'm sorry, where these boys are lying about God. And it's not money and it's not relationships. You know what it is? It's where Eli is complicit in his boy's sin because somehow Eli has just given up. Somehow Eli has just decided it's easier and safer just to let them go and kind of benefit from it anyway. The third lie about God is just giving up and being complicit in other people's sin. And God hates it, and it makes him killing mad. This is where I just want to stop. In a room this size, in a room this size, Statistically, there has to be. There, there, all probability is that there is someone abused by someone in power. When it comes to taking finances, when it comes to inappropriate relationships, or when it just comes to complicit, just giving up. Let me tell you, God abominates that. He hates it. And God is not like that and never has been like that. So here's what we've learned about the Lord. The Lord gives power. The Lord hates, lies about himself. And then third, the Lord raises up those who are faithful to him. The Lord raises the faithful. And so you see Samuel. This is why I pointed out the contrast between Eli and his sons and then Samuel as his growing in the presence of the Lord, growing in the favor of the Lord and with people. In fact, at the end of Samuel's life, when he's about ready to retire, the people have asked for a king. So Samuel is going to step back away from the scenes. We see in 1 Samuel chapter 12. I'm just going to read it and then I'll come right back. But 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 3, where he's kind of given his farewell speech, he says, Here I am. Testify against me before the Lord. And before his anointed, or before the king. Whose ox have I, what's that next word, if you, if you open your Bibles there? Taken. Hey, that's what he saw Hophni and Phinehas do time after time after time after time after time. And he's like, I'm not doing that. Whose ox have I taken? Or whose donkey have I taken? Or whom have I defrauded? Or whom have I oppressed? 
Or whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with it? Testify against me, and I will restore it to you. And then the people say, You have not defrauded us or oppressed us or taken anything from any man's hand. This is Hannah's poem that the Lord brings down and the Lord raises up and the Lord raises up the faithful. Now what you see is Samuel saying, I have not taken anything from you. I have not reached my hand into your pot at all, ever. I have not done that. But that's negative. Mostly that's negative. Think of our Lord. Think of what we're going to celebrate later on today. Remember what Jesus says? This is my body given for you. Me for you. Not just negative, not just I've been nice to you or haven't taken anything from you, but but me for you. My body for your salvation. Me in your place. I'm dying for your sins. This is what God is like. Giving myself for you, love. So, you've been thinking about it all morning. What power do you wield? When you get up and leave in the morning, or when you buckle in for the day, what power do you wield? You know, you know that your kids, I'll just talk to the men for a second here. I know it's Mother's Day, but I'm going to talk to the dads. When your kids pray, like Jesus taught them to pray, you remember how Jesus taught them to pray, right? Our Father who is in heaven that you're kind of filling in the blanks and how they think about our Father who is in heaven. Immediately when they pray our Father, they're going to put God through the filter that you have created for them. That may be something they unlearn. It may be something that as they grow and get older, they say, well, Dad got this right, Dad didn't get that so right. You wield, Dad, you wield a lot of power. When you think about the words you're using, all of you, and I, I think, you know, I think, I wish, I don't know if I wish this or not, but I think of like how many words Cheyenne speaks to the kids versus how many words I speak to the kids. My kids. She talks to them a lot more than I talk to them. And there's power of life and death in the, in the tongue. And, and mom, if you're the one that, like, that's really important. All the time you spend talking to your kids. It's really important. You wield a lot of power in that relationship. Like, so, so think about the power that you have. And then... How are you doing with that? And, and I want to come back to this, like, God's wrath at the abuse of power. 
I mean, this is still a real thing. I mean, this, this is true. God hates, abominates the abuse of power. But is it too late? Like, if you've been getting this wrong for years, is it too late? Has God declared about you that it's just his will to put you to death and there's not a darn thing you can do about it? Is that what God is? I mean, is that where we are? Remember the series Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy that we did? And remember how we, one week we went to Jeremiah 18. We visited the potter's house. And Jeremiah saw the potter uh, making pots. And, and the one pot was misshapen. And so the potter was reshaping it. And God shows up and says, I can do that for you. I'm shaping a future of disaster for you, but it doesn't have to go that way. It can be good. It can be better. If you turn to me, it can be better. You can still turn. He's like, I'm preparing disaster for you. And the clay is hardening. The plants are hardening. They're firming up as we speak. But you still have time to repent. Anyone who turns to the Lord can be saved. Everyone who turns to the Lord can be saved. So this is what Jeremiah says. He says, if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I, will pluck, uh, that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, like he said of Eli and Eli's sons, and if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, look, this is why the man of God came to Eli in the first place. If God was only bent on disaster, he wouldn't have said anything. He would have just let him go. But because God wanted him to repent and was warning him, because God was saying, it is my will to destroy you, and implied is, so you better repent. Okay? So, if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent from the disaster that I intend to do to it. So turn. So turn. And use the power that God has delegated to you faithfully. Faithfully, meaning putting your faith into practice every day. Faithfully, wield the power that God has assigned to you. Faithfully, predictably, consistently, day in and day out. You know, we talk about big sins sometimes. The really big ones, the, the ones you see in the newspaper. The big ones, the, like when people are caught with their hand in the pot. When people are caught with inappropriate relationships. When people have been complicit for far too long. Sometimes we just think about the big sins. But you know, it's, it's the little sins that lead the big sins. It's, it's the little compromises that lead to the big compromises. But in the same way, the, the little faithfulnesses, the little consistencies lead to big consistencies, lead to big faithfulnesses. Let us be faithful in the small things. So I'd like you to make the most of the power that you have, the power that God has delegated to you for your sake, so that you hear one day, well done, my good 
and faithful servant. I'd like you to do this not just for your sake, but for our sake, so that we tell each other the truth about God with the power that God has invested in us. I'd like you to do this for the world's sake, because after all, our Lord did say that we are like a city on a hill, that we don't take a lamp and put it under a bushel, but in the same way, he says, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works. So do this for the nation's sake, so the nations can see people who treat power well, and as they see the truth about what God is like, then they will give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Do this for God's sake. For his reputation's sake. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would help us live faithfully in the positions, in the places that you have assigned to us. Pull us towards yourself, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.